Chapter six of In the Mayor's Parlour by J. S. Fletcher. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Ancient Office of a Coroner. The discovery of Wallingford's will, which lay uppermost amongst a small collection of private papers in a drawer of the dead man's desk, led Brent and Tansley into a new train of thought. Tansley, with the ready perception and acumen of a man trained in the law, was quick to point out two or three matters which in the view of Wallingford's murder seemed to be of high importance, perhaps of deep significance. Appended to the will was a schedule of the testator's properties and possessions, with the total value of the estate estimated and given in precise figures. That was how Brent suddenly became aware that he had come into a small fortune. Then the will itself was in holograph, written out in Wallingford's own hand on a single sheet of paper, in the briefest possible fashion, and witnessed by his two clerks, and most important and significant of all, it had been executed only a week previously. "'Do you know how that strikes me?' observed Tansley in a low voice, as if he feared to be overheard. "'It just looks to me as if Wallingford had anticipated that something was about to happen.' Had he ever given you any idea in his letters that he was going to do this? Never, replied Brent. Still, I'm the only very near relative that he had. Well, said Tansley, it may be mere coincidence, but it's a bit odd that he should be murdered within a week of that will's being made. I'd just like to know if he'd been threatened, openly, anonymously, anyway. Looks like it. I suppose we shall get into things at the inquest, asked Brent. Tansley shrugged his shoulders. "'Maybe,' he answered. "'I've no great faith in inquests myself. But sometimes things do come out, and our coroner Seagrave is a painstaking and thoroughgoing sort of old chap, the leading solicitor in the town, too. But it all depends on what evidence can be brought forward. I've always an uneasy feeling, as regards a coroner's inquiry, that the very people who really could tell something never come forward.' "'Doesn't that look as if such people were keeping something back that would incriminate themselves?' suggested Brent. "'Not necessarily,' replied Tansley. "'But it often means that it might incriminate others. "'And in an old town like this, where the folk are very clannish and closely connected one with another by literally centuries of intermarriage between families, you're not going to get one man to give another away.' "'You think that even if the murderer is known, or if someone suspected, he would be shielded?' asked Brent. "'In certain eventualities, yes,' answered Tansley. "'We all know that rumours about your cousin's murder are afloat in the town now, and spreading. Well, the more they spread, the closer and more secretive will those people become who are in the know. That is, of course, if anybody is in the know. That's a fact.' "'What do you think yourself?' said Brent suddenly. "'Come now.' "'I think the mayor was got rid of, and very cleverly,' replied Tansley. "'So cleverly that I'm doubtful if tomorrow's inquest will reveal anything. However, it's got to be held.' "'Well, you'll watch it for me,' said Brent. "'I'm going to spare no expense and no pains to get at the truth.' He sat at Tansley's side when the inquest was opened next morning, in the principal court of the old Moot Hall. It struck him as rather a curious fact that although he had followed the profession of journalist for several years, 
he had never until then been present at the holding of this one of the most ancient forms of inquiry known to english law but he was familiar with the history of the thing he knew that ever since the days of edward the fourth the coroner had held his sitting super visum corporis with the aid of at least twelve jurymen probi et legales homines there was scarcely in all the range of english legal economy an office more ancient he inspected the coroner and his jury with curious interest seagrave coroner of the honour of hathelsborough was a keen-faced old lawyer whose astute looks were relieved by a kindly expression his twelve good men and true were tradesmen of the town whose exterior promised a variety of character and temperament from the sharply alert to the dully unimaginative there were other people there in whom brent was speedily interested and at whom he gazed with speculative attention in the opening stages of the proceedings the court was crowded by the time seagrave as coroner took his seat there was not a square foot of even standing space brent recognized a good many folk there was peppermore with his sharp-eyed boy assistant there ranged alongside of them were many other reporters from the various county newspapers and at least one man whom brent recognized as being from the press association in london and there was a big array of police with hawthwaite at its head and there were doctors and officials of the moot hall and amongst the general public many men whom brent remembered seeing the previous day in bull's snug Crevin crude was among these in a privileged seat not far away sat his brother the alderman with queenie half hidden at his side and his satellites mallet and coppinger in close attendance and near them in another privileged place sat a very pretty woman of a distinct and superior type attired in semi-mourning and accompanied by her elderly female companion brent was looking at these two when tansley nudged his elbow you see that handsome woman over there next to the older one he whispered that's the mrs saumarez you've heard of that your unfortunate cousin was very friendly with rich young widow she is and deuced pretty and attractive wallingford used to dine with her a good deal i wonder if she's any ideas about this mystery however i guess we shall hear many things before the day's out and of course i haven't the slightest notion what evidence is going to be given but i've a pretty good idea that seagrave means to say some pretty straight things to the jury here tansley proved to be right the coroner in opening the proceedings made some forcible remarks on their unusual gravity and importance here was a case in which the chief magistrate of one of the most ancient boroughs in england had been found dead in his official room under circumstances which clearly seemed to point to murder already there were rumours in the town and neighbourhood of the darkest and most disgraceful sort that the mayor of hathelsborough had been done to death in a peculiarly brutal fashion by a man or men who disagreed with the municipal reforms which he was intent on carrying out it would be a lasting and indelible blot on the old town's fair fame never tarnished before in this way if this inquiry came to naught if no definite verdict was given he earnestly hoped that by the time it concluded they would be in possession of facts which would so to speak clear the town and any political party in the town 
he begged them to give the closest attention to all that would be put before them and to keep open minds until they heard all the available evidence a fairly easy matter in this particular case muttered tansley as the jurymen went out to discharge their distasteful preliminary task of viewing the body of the murdered man i don't suppose there's a single man there who has the ghost of a theory and i'm doubtful if he'll know much more to-night than he knows now unless something startling is sprung upon us brent was the first witness called into the box when the court settled down to its business he formally identified the body of the deceased as that of his cousin john wallingford at the time of his death mayor of hathelsborough and forty-one years of age he detailed the particulars of his own coming to the town on the evening of the murder and told how he and bunning going upstairs to the mayor's parlour had found wallingford lying across his desk dead all this every man and woman in the court knew already but the coroner desired to know more i believe mr brent he said when the witness had given these particulars that you are the deceased's nearest blood relative i am replied dent then you can give us some information which may be of use although the mayor had lived in hathelsborough some twelve years or so he was neither a native of the town nor of these parts now can you give us some particulars about him about his family and his life before he came to this borough yes said brent my cousin was the only son only child in fact of the reverend septimus wallingford who was sometime vicar of market meadow in berkshire he is dead many years ago so is his wife my cousin was educated at reading grammar school and on leaving it he was articled to a firm of solicitors in that town after qualifying as a solicitor he remained with the firm for some time about twelve years ago he came to this place as managing clerk to a hathelsborough firm its partners eventually retired and he bought their practice was he ever married never you knew him well he was some twelve years my senior answered brent so i was a mere boy when he was a young man but of late years we have seen a good deal of each other he has frequently visited me in london and this would have been my third visit to him here we corresponded regularly you were on good terms we were on very good terms and confidential terms as far as i know yes he took great interest in my work as a journalist and i took great interest in his career in this town and i understand that he has marked his sense of shall we say kinship for you by leaving you all his property he has now did he ever say anything to you by word of mouth or letter about any private troubles no never or about any public ones well some months ago soon after he became mayor of hathelsborough he made a sort of joking reference in a letter to something that might come under that head yes what now he said that he had started on his task of cleaning out the orgean stable of hathelsborough and that the old task of hercules was child's play compared to his i believe mr brent that you visited your cousin here in the town about christmas last did he say anything to you about hathelsborough at that time i mean as regards what he called his orgean stables task brent hesitated 
He glanced at the eagerly listening spectators, and he smiled a little. Well, he replied half-hesitatingly, he did. He said that in his opinion Hathelsborough was the rottenest and most corrupt little town in all England. Did you take that as a seriously meant statement, Mr. Brent? Oh, well, he laughed as he made it. I took it as a specimen of his rather heightened way of putting things. Did he say anything that led you to think that he believed himself to have bitter enemies in the town? No, said Brent, he did not. Neither then nor at any other time? Neither then nor at any other time. The coroner asked no further questions, and Brent sat down again by Tansley, and settled himself to consider whatever evidence might follow. He tried to imagine himself a coroner or juryman, and to estimate and weigh the testimony of each succeeding witness in its relation to the matter into which the court was inquiring. Some of it, he thought, was relevant, some had little in it that carried affairs any further. Yet he began to see that even the apparently irrelevant evidence was not without its importance. There were links, these statements, these answers, links that went to the making of a chain. He was already familiar with most of the evidence. He knew what each witness was likely to tell before one or other entered the box. Bunning came next after himself. Bunning had nothing new to tell, nor was there anything new in the medical evidence given by Dr. Wellesley and Dr. Barber. All the town knew how the mayor had been murdered, and the purely scientific explanations as to the cause of death were merely details. More interest came when Hawthwaite produced the fragment of handkerchief picked up on the hearth of the mayor's parlour, half burnt, and when he brought forward the rapier which had been discovered behind the bookcase, still more when a man who kept an old curiosity shop in a back street of the town proved that he had sold the rapier to Wallingford only a few days before the murder. But interest died down again while the borough surveyor produced elaborate plans and diagrams, illustrating the various corridors, passages, entrances and exits of the Moot Hall, with a view to showing the difficulty of access to the mayor's parlour. It revived once more when the policeman, who had been on duty at the office of the basement, stepped into the box and was questioned as to the possibilities of entrance to the boot hall through the door near which his desk was posted. For on pressure by the coroner he admitted that between six and eight o'clock, on the fateful evening he had twice been absent from the neighbourhood of that door, for intervals of five or six minutes. It was therefore possible that the murderer had slipped in and slipped out without attracting attention. This admission produced the first element of distinct sensation which had so far materialized. As almost every person present was already fairly well acquainted with the details of what had transpired on the evening of the murder, Peppermore having published every scrap of information he could rake up in successive editions of his monitor, the constable's belated revelation came as a surprise. Hawthwaite turned on the witness with an irate, astonished look. The coroner glanced at Hawthwaite as if he were puzzled, then looked down at certain memoranda lying before him. He turned from this to the witness, a somewhat raw, youthful policeman. "'I understood that you were never away from that door between six and eight o'clock on the evening in question,' he said. "'Now you admit that you were twice away from it?' "'Yes, sir. I'm sorry, sir. I clean forgot that when—' 
when the superintendent asked me at first i-i was a bit flustered like now let us get a clear statement about this said the coroner after a pause we know quite well from the plans and from our own knowledge that any one could get up to the mayor's parlour through the police office in the basement at the rear of the boot hall what time did you go on duty at the door that opens into the office from st lawrence lane six o'clock sir and you were about the door at a desk there eh until when till after eight sir but you say you were absent for a short time twice yes sir i remember now that i was what were the times of those two absences well sir about ten minutes to seven i went along to the charge office for a few minutes five or six minutes then at about quarter to eight i went downstairs into the cellar to get some paraffin for a lamp i might be away as long then sir and of course during your absence anybody could have left or entered unnoticed well they could sir but i don't think anybody did why now because sir the door opening into st lawrence lane is a very heavy one and i never heard it either open or close the latch is a heavy one too sir and uncommon stiff still anybody might observed the coroner now what is the length of the passage between that door the door at the foot of the stairs leading to this court by which anybody would have to come to get that way to the mayor's parlour the witness reflected for a moment well about ten yards sir he answered the coroner looked at the plan which the borough surveyor had placed before him and the jury a few minutes previously before he could say anything further hawthwaite rose from his seat and making his way to him exchanged a few whispered remarks with him presently the coroner nodded as if in assent to some suggestion oh very well he said then perhaps we'd better have her at once call what's her name did you say oh yes sarah jane spicy from amidst a heterogeneous collection of folk men and women congregated at the rear of the witness-box a woman came forward one of the most extraordinary-looking creatures that he had ever seen thought brent she was nearly six feet in height she was correspondingly built her arms appeared to be as brawny as a navvy's her face was of the shape and roundness of a full moon her mouth was a wide slit her nose a button her eyes were as shrewd and hard as they were small and close-set a very grenadier of a woman and apparently quite unmoved by the knowledge that everybody was staring at her sarah jane spicy yes wife of the town bellman resident in st lawrence lane went out charring sometimes sometimes worked at mariner's laundry odd job woman in fact mrs spicy said the coroner i understand that on the evening of mr wallingford's death you were engaged in some work in the moot hall is that so yes sir which i was a-washing the floor of this very court what time was that mrs spicy which i was at it your worshipful from six o'clock to eight did you leave this place at all during that time not once sir not for a minute now during the whole of that time mrs spicy did you see anybody come up those stairs cross the court and go towards the mayor's parlour which i never did sir i never see a soul of any sort which the place was empty sir for all but me and my work sir 
the coroner motioned mrs spizey to stand down and glanced at hawthwaite i think this would be a convenient point at which to adjourn he said i but hawthwaite's eyes were turned elsewhere in the body of the court an elderly man had risen End of chapter six